Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's good to be with you this week. Well, it's been a few weeks. I'm happy to be back. Um, as we have said, I think recently, uh, you know, Scott, uh, well, Scott had surgery. He's fine. He's recovered. He's back to work next week. And presumably that means he will return to the podcast soon as well. However, you know, it's summertime. Um, we're not out of session technically. The legislature, again, is perpetually in special session these days and in fact are going back next week to possibly wrap it up. But in this ostensibly off time of the year when the legislature isn't actively, you know, hearing and listening and discussing a, a, a you know, large number of bills, um, we're moving into interim study time of the year where they will be discussing ideas for potential bills. Um, And we can talk about interim studies a lot more in a future episode, but we wanted to bring in some new voices over the summer. We want to, there's a lot of stuff that we just don't have a chance to talk about during the regular session and, and other times of the year. And summer's a great opportunity for that. We had CivicsCon about a month ago. It was a tremendous success, really great uh, engagement, really great turnout, really great speakers and sessions. A huge thanks to everyone who made that possible. And out of that, out of CivicsCon, came this larger discussion of attendees and speakers who said, this is great. We should talk about some of this stuff uh, a little bit deeper in different formats and on an ongoing basis. And I completely agree. So over the next couple of months, uh, we're going to do just that. We've you know, it's just given me a chance to kind of recharge and have some conversations offline with folks that are leading to conversations online here on Let's Pod This. Uh, and we're going to start um, by having a conversation about immigration, specifically about citizenship. Uh, and this is a great example. I had someone who I think attended CivicsCon and emailed me and said, hey, I saw that there was and a citizenship ceremony happening at the Oklahoma History Center. And I don't know much about that. Could you talk about that on the podcast? And as luck would have it, I know someone who uh, teaches citizenship courses, classes here in Oklahoma City. Uh, His name is Bruce Kaplinger. And so I reached out to him uh, and invited him on the show. So today's episode is going to be that. It's going to be my conversation with Bruce about his job, about citizenship classes, and and all that that process has entailed. As you will hear, it is something that is very personal to him uh, and something he cares a great deal about and a great way for us to be involved, right? There's an opportunity here for all of us to, to even volunteer to help folks who are coming to this country seeking to become American citizens, uh, which I think is a, a lofty and noble goal uh, in many ways. And and they come to the table with a very different perspective than, than probably most of us. And um, Bruce told me after the interview that if anybody wants to get involved, um, and they always need folks to help, you know, uh, do practice questions, practice tests, practice interviews, kind of help tutor around the English language. There's lots of things we can do. So if that's an interest, stay tuned till the end of the show or just look in the show notes um, and, and you'll see some information, some links for how to do that. Okay, um, without further ado, let's hear my interview with Bruce Kaplinger.
Bruce, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I think maybe a good place to start, because I, my guess is most of our listeners don't know anything or very little about the citizenship process. Like, we know that people move here. We know about immig- immigration is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole thing is much more complicated. So um, maybe if you could uh, start at the beginning, tell us about the organization, how you got involved with it, and then we'll kind of get into the process. Sure, yeah. So I work with Community Literacy Centers, which is a literacy organization here. Been around since the 80s, I think. Focuses on English and adult basic education and even like high school equivalency classes. But then we started about four years ago with an interest in citizenship. And I have an extra interest in citizenship because of my wife. So she came here from Myanmar and we moved here and the process was incredibly complex. (laughs) Like you said, most people don't know. I didn't know the process, um, but we, it's expensive. And so we had to do it ourselves. Yeah, Couldn't afford lawyers, couldn't afford any of that. So I learned, we worked together to do all the paperwork, to get her green card, to get citizenship. And so I have an interest in that from the start. And then we talked to the Oklahoma Department of Libraries, and they have a program throughout the state. And so they work with some local um, libraries, some metro libraries, and they had an interest in, in us taking over. Yeah. And so I jumped at that idea. Yeah. Um, How interesting. So it sounds like you kind of came to this from multiple angles mm-hmm. that happened to converge at the mm-hmm. same time, right? Like you were you already doing the literacy work? Yes, I was already teaching English and adult basic education, and then a different organization stopped teaching. I think it was Oklahoma City University was teaching the citizenship classes, but okay. they stopped, and the libraries were looking for somebody new. Yeah, it happened where our or our organization had interest, and then they talked to me, and I of course had interest, right, yeah, um, because of my background with it, and so yeah, things just kind of That's meshed great. and came together. Yeah, super. Um, I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah, right? I wish it was a plan, but yeah. it just came together. Well, it's funny as, as we're sitting here thinking, you know, given the mm, the political tides mm. of the last several years, I would wager that most most Americans, well, probably don't know much about the process. Mm-hmm. And if they do, there's a lot of people who have done a lot of research for like how to immigrate from America to mm. Canada or somewhere, mm. right? Yeah, like, exactly. Remember in 2016, and there was a big discussion about that. Um, but maybe not how to mm-hmm. how to come here, um, and you know my limited experience has been not so much around citizenship, but around mm-hmm. um, international uh, uh, like workers coming for like to work at a university mm-hmm. and having to get their K one visa and all yep. this stuff. I thankfully didn't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I had to like be aware of the process because mm-hmm. we tried out. You know, we hired a physician from Peru and mm-hmm. just that whole process of like getting them able to. Just come work and start, you know, healing people. Sure. Um, so this is great. Well, uh, tell us a little bit, Bruce, like maybe what – can you give a, a general overview of what the process entails for someone to become a U.S. citizen? Sure. So the first step is the green card, the permanent residence card. And so you have to get that. And then how it works is five years – most people have five years until they can apply for citizenship after okay. they have their permanent residence card. Can I can I interrupt you and back sure. up a little bit? So someone comes to the U.S. Yeah, can they apply for? They can't apply for a green card until they're here. Yeah, until they're here and they have a 
They have to go through a process to okay. even get that. So you have to like get a visa, maybe a student visa, yes, a work visa, something. Absolutely. Like for instance, my wife had a fiance visa. Okay. We had to get married. And as soon as we got married, then she was able to apply for permanent right, residence. Right. So of course, when they come with a visa, there's steps yeah. to the process. And some visas you get, you come here and you can't right. get a permanent residence. Oh, there's no path to permanent residence. There's no residence. path at all to permanent residence. Okay. And I'm not exactly sure of which visas it is, but yeah. we have run into some students who've been like, they haven't had their permanent residence yet and they don't know how they're going to get it. Maybe a family member's a, a citizen and they'll be able to get it through that yeah, path. Right. So there's paths, but it's hard to know which one works. Okay. So we're already confused from the get-go of just like how to arrive yes. on U.S. soil. Yes. But once you're here through one of these mechanisms yes. and um, you're eligible, you have to be here for, you get a green card, mm-hmm. which is, I, I'm sure green card is shorthand for some kind of government Yes. Form 8119 or something. And they don't actually call it a green card anymore, but everybody calls it a green card. So we'll use green card if that's okay with you. Yeah. So the green card, their path is through the green green card. So they get their green card and then they have a path towards citizenship. So marriage, if you're married to a U.S. citizen, three years. Okay. You have a shorter path. Okay. You have to live in the U.S. for three years? Yes. Okay. So that's a part of the process as well. So when you have your green card to apply for citizenship, you have to be permanently, physically present in the U.S. for half of the time. Right. Because I've I've known people who like went home to visit family, yes. but could only go visit their family for a few months because they were going to do a few months every year and they didn't want that to add up to more than the time. Yes, because the USCIS has some uh, rules, obviously. They're pretty flexible on some. On the time you leave and are present inside the US is no flexibility at all. Okay. We've we've had people in the past who had issues with, they had health issues, they had to go home. Sure. COVID even got them stuck abroad. Oh, so yeah. they were gone for like two years. They applied for citizenship they passed every aspect of it, the test, and the interviewer said, no, oh, you, so they, you can't. There's no exception whatsoever. Man, so did they that. have to like restart the clock? or is that From that moment, they have five more years. Oh, okay, so it restarts again. a complete again. restart. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. So, so it, sorry, I, we kind of got off track, but you said marriage is one that's mm-hmm. a three-year path. The, all the other paths are five years. Okay. Okay, so three to five years to begin to apply for citizenship. Okay, so- at that point in time, they fill out what's called an N-400, which is an application for citizenship. Um, they apply, and then involved in that is they get called back for a biometrics test, fingerprints, and then they have an actual interview, which is the last step of the process okay. before the ceremony. Okay. Is there a test in there? There is. That's the interview, and that's what our classes focus most on, and okay. that's what most people don't understand about the process. They, Most people I've met think, and before I thought, you fill an application, you're done. You pay some money, mm-hmm. and it's good to go. But there's an actual test that's involved in the interview. And so what that entails is you go to meet an interviewer, and they have different parts. So the main part is an English section where you have to learn, where you have to show you can speak, understand, write, read. And then there's a hundred civics questions that you have to be able to answer. You don't, is it, is it a verbal test or is it written or both? Verbal. Okay. So the only part that's written is you write on a tablet. They'll read you a sentence and to test your writing, you have to write that sentence as well as you can. Okay. Interesting. 
Yeah. So I guess I always assumed it was like a Scantron test, like you would do for anything else. And if like a driver's test almost. Mm-hmm. And then if you pass that and you answer a few questions that like, you know, you know, where the capital is and mm-hmm. a few other things, Mount Rushmore, I don't know. But I, I have a hunch that like the items on this test might not be as applicable to everyday American oh. life as one would expect. But I don't know where I have that preconceived notion. It's, yeah. The the questions on the test are, especially the 100 civics questions are, some are pretty good and some are you'd never have any use in your life, honestly. Right. And most people, and what we tell our students is most U.S. citizens would have no idea. Right. There's no way they would pass this test. Can you give us an example of what some of those questions are like? Of course. So there's every type of question. There's history questions, there's geography, there's rights questions. Um, so an example of a question that we find very difficult is how many voting members are in the House of Representatives. Oh, right. Which is a number you probably know. Right. But most, most people, people do not right. know. So just things we have to learn by heart, right? almost memorization. And the USCIS gives us just a list of the questions, and you have to learn the answers. And the hardest part is you have to learn all 100, because when you go to the interview, you get asked 10 only, <laughs> and they're so, random. Okay. This, is a, this feels like a trick. It does, and it has felt like a trick for a really long time, because, yes, you just memorize 10, 100 answers, 100 yeah. questions, and then you go back and you get surprised with which 10 you get asked. Right. Is that test, like, I assume there's, um, it's the same 100 question mm-hmm. question set, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. that I assume it's like publicly available somewhere mm-hmm. where you could request it and yeah. test yourself. I will find it and put it in the show notes for this episode for any of our listeners who want to take it themselves. I will send it to you. Oh, I, would, I would encourage anybody to try it without using Google. Right. Um, try it on your own because I think most people would fail. Yeah. You have to get – so you get 10 questions and you have to get six correct. Uh, okay. So you have to get six out of 10. So our students show up knowing every question – but most people that go for the citizenship interview just have to cross their fingers right. and hope they get six easy ones. Sure, yeah. Wow. I'm really interested to take this test now. Um, I I believe there was a law here in Oklahoma that recently passed that will require students, I think, to like pass the citizenship test before they graduate high school. Do you know anything about this? I have heard of that, and I've had some people begin reaching out to me about the 100 questions because that right. would be a part of – I heard about that law yeah. as well, but I don't know much detail about it. Well, now now that I, we've been talking, I'm very yeah. curious if that's how they're going to administer that test. Are they going to ask students all 100? Or are they going to have people ask them 10 verbally? You know, like if it's the same – if they're going to replicate it entirely, and if not, why not? Um, mm. Because – that may be an opportunity to highlight some of the uh, interesting nuances to the immigration and citizenship process um, that I think would probably open the eyes of at least some parents and probably some teachers of like, oh, what the heck? This seems very weird. Exactly. Now, I will say that there is a plan in the USCIS. We had USCIS in class last week, and they talked about there is a plan to change the test. Hmm. So it will be the same questions, but it would be in multiple choice format. Oh, oh! so it's not even multiple choice right no, now. No, right now it's <laughs> you ask, I ask you a question like, who is the president during World War I? And you answer. Oh. 
those shit. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean that's that's what good luck anybody knowing right. that one. Yeah. And but those are the types of questions you get. Now there are simple questions like who's the president of the United States now? And right. name two national holidays. Right. So there are a set of pretty easy questions. Right. There are a set of really complex questions. To go back, it's FDR, right? Wasn't he president during World War One? World War One was Woodrow Wilson. Oh, okay. And FDR it, was the Great Depression in World War Two. Okay. I yeah. I was thinking that he was president during both, because I mean, four terms is yeah, a long, term. a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. It was right after World War One. Yeah, he got he got the not that the the not that the war was the good part, but certainly the depression was the bad part. And in my head, I'm walking through the FDR memorial in D.C. because it walks mm-hmm. through each of his terms, and I could have sworn there was a a thing at the beginning, but it might have just been kind of the aftermath of the war. Yeah. And and good luck. The hard part also is remember all these people are second language speakers, oh, and sure. so the pronunciation of words like Woodrow right. for me and you comes, but for other people that's a really hard word to yeah. say. So a lot of this is also we forget about the English aspect yeah. and the part where we have to work on their English, their pronunciation, their ability to understand and to speak and yeah. be understood. Yeah, which is a part as well. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean those some of I mean this is a thing that. You know, wherever you grow up, whatever your native mm-hmm. language is, if you are not exposed to others, mm-hmm. you like physically lose the ability to make some of those sounds. Like I know for mm-hmm. Mandarin, there's some pronunciations that like if you didn't grow up speaking mm-hmm. it, you can't differentiate. Your, your ear can't. And I don't know if your mouth can either yeah. between, you know, to us, it sounds like she and she, but there's it's different. And there's that, a difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Um and I would imagine it's the same for folks that are non-native mm-hmm. English speakers coming to the U.S. Heck, even for folks who speak English, but maybe mm-hmm. from, you know, Australia or England or, um, you know, Uganda. Like there's lots of places sure. where people do speak English, but the pronunciation the is pronunciation's different. The pronunciation different. Yeah. And so they have to work on, we work in class on pronunciation that's clear enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. But it's got to be clear enough that it's understood and their ability to understand the interviewer because the interviewer, they don't know who they're going to get. They don't know what accent they're going to get. Oh, right. Because it so, goes both ways, right? Of course it goes both <laughs> ways. And so that's a part where they there is an English test. And the English test is they go over your application, which you've already filled out. There are also some moral and ethics questions, mm. and which is in your application, like have you ever types of questions. Uh-huh. And so there, the English test is you have to understand the question and be able to respond and respond to any follow-up questions. Right. So Interesting. So how many students do you work with like in a usual year or something? How long is the class? How many students do you have in a year? Sure. I teach two classes a week, um, one on Wednesday, one on Thursday, and each class has about 15 students in it. Um, and these classes are most classes you come and you want them to stay and be a part of the whole goal of our classes is that they leave. Right. Because when they finish, uh, when they get their citizenship, they're done because they come with that purpose only. So we have around 30 students and we've been doing this for about three or four years mm-hmm. and we've had 40 new U.S. citizens mm. come to our classes. So it's not like a set curriculum, like an eight-week program. It's like they can keep coming for as long as they need? It's a 32-week program, actually. Oh, okay. It goes pretty much almost all year long, but they can come and go. Okay. So when they they can come as any part of the process. We've got some at the very beginning who don't even have a green card yet. Mm-hmm. We've got some that have their interview next week. Okay. And so we, we kind of mold the curriculum 
to whatever they need. Yeah, that's fascinating. I remember when I spoke mm -hmm. to your class, which was in the last couple of years, it was mm -hmm. over Zoom. Um, and it was not a big class, but I knew mm -hmm. that for the reasons you mentioned, right? Like attendance or enrollment had decreased because mm -hmm. a lot of folks had to got mm -hmm. stuck elsewhere on the globe. Um, and the, the one question, because I presented about civic engagement and mm -hmm. voting and talked about things, and everyone was very informed on the process, much more than typical audiences mm -hmm. to whom I speak. Um, but they all like afterwards in just Q&A really wanted to talk about the lack of public transportation in Oklahoma mm -hmm. City. And that <laughs> cracked me up. Everyone was like, yeah, 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 this voting's great. Why does your bus system suck? Like, and, it was and, like everywhere else in the world has figured out public transit. Yeah. Here we're struggling. And I, it just caught me off guard and really tickled me. Yeah, there's a little bit random, but it's true. I mean, it's a true fact when you come here from another country, you're yeah. used to all of them come from pretty big cities. And that's one of the first things in every class we have is like, what is going on here? <laughs> right. well, what kind of system do you have? Yeah, hang on. Let me reevaluate this decision. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> some of them don't have that decision. Right. They yeah. just show up. So That's funny. That's interesting. So, uh, well, that's great. So 40, 40 folks that have progressed mm -hmm. through the class and um, achieved citizenship. That's great. Yeah. And the process, it changes based on the political system, obviously. Oh, and right. So in the past, the system has been very, very hard, very, very slow. The process when you applied would take my wife, it took a year and a, maybe a couple months from the day she turned in her application until she took her interview. Mm-hmm. They're making some incredibly great changes, sped things up, and now our students are doing it in two months. Oh, wow. They're applying. They're having their interview within two months. Um, and so we had eight new citizens in the last two months. That's cool. I mean, that reminds me, it makes me think about like a lot of professional licensure exams. Like when I took my mm -hmm. professional counseling license exam, mm -hmm. or if you take the, um, you know, physicians that do their boards or uh, attorneys passing the mm -hmm. bar. Those there's lots of things, but generally you have to pay an application fee, mm -hmm. make an application, and then they kind of tell you when you're scheduled to take it. And so yeah. it sounds like this is a similar process. But I can't imagine waiting a year or something to to do that. Something you've already been working on mm -hmm. for three years or five years, exactly. and then to have to wait another year is a little crazy. Exactly, because the citizenship form is not that different than the permanent residence green card form. So forms you filled out for visas right. over and over and paid fees. Yeah. So yes, the the process they're doing now is so much better because they're they're they've sped things up. The right. process is moving so much quicker than it used to, which is great. Has uh you mentioned the cost earlier and how much it cost uh, uh you and your wife. What's the typical cost just to like do the this side of things, excluding maybe attorneys and yeah. all that. Yeah, just the citizens, citizenship application and the biometrics fee comes out to about $850 hmm. right now. Which um, is not nothing. No, it's definitely not nothing. But they have talked about, about a year ago, they talked about doubling the cost, which would have been very difficult. Yeah. Because even now, it's a real struggle for some of our students, obviously, mm -hmm. who come to just have $850 to just throw out there. And of course, with the USCIS and anything government, there's no refunds. Right. Um, no. So no, yeah. it's it's not like you get to oh, I failed the test, I get it back. Right. It certainly doesn't work like that. Yeah, you got to do it again. Yeah. So if you get through, let's say you you took a typical route and it's five years, and then it's at the end of that is when you can make your application, mm -hmm. and then at whatever point they schedule your test, 
you don't pass the test, can you just reapply or does the whole clock doesn't start over, does it? No. So you can reapply, but you get two tries at the interview. Okay. Okay. So you get two tries. You get, you get to try the test. And then if you fail, they let you have one more try and then you have to put in a new application after that. Okay. Do they ask the same 10 questions or do they take another 10? No, no, no. It changes every day. So they have a randomly set up program and it's just a set of 10 questions. The interviewer pops on their screen and they ask those 10 questions. Oh, okay. So it's not a immediate, you can't like get through it and say, oh, I'm sorry, you only got five correct. Do you want another go? And you can like, oh, no, no, no. Take them all again and just do it again. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. They don't even tell you if you get them correct or wrong correct or wrong they don't say yes or no they just they ask you a question they say who is the president during world war one you answer and they move to the next question oh. so there's no yes you did good there's no right. oh, you did terrible right. there's no feedback whatsoever so the moment you answer the first question all that anxiety just stays and then it just like builds yeah. question after question yeah do you find out before you leave the facility Yes. So you, uh, okay. f- you find out at the end after you've done all your speaking and gone mm-hmm. through your application and done the reading and writing and the questions, at the end they'll hand you a form which says you passed or you need more information or you failed a certain part. Right. The good thing about it is if you fail, like for instance, you fail your 10 questions, when you come back, you only do that part, which oh, means you okay. don't have to do the entire interview over right. again. Right. But That's I will good. say this. The interview is, for people who study, is easier than most people think. Okay. They think it could be impossibly hard and difficult, but actually about 92% of the people pass yeah. the citizenship interview. And of our group, we've had 40 try and 40 pass. Oh, that's great. I, uh, I, I do, uh, someone I know, our, our housekeeper, um, recently got her citizenship, I guess last year. And she was nervous going into mm-hmm. it. She told me, Andy, next week's my deal. And then when I saw her, you know, a couple of weeks later, I was like, hey, how did it go? And she was like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. It's real easy. Uh, and so she was like, no big deal. And then yeah. she was like, let's talk about voting. And I was like, okay, yeah. this is great. Um, well, that's great. Yeah. This is really cool, Bruce. I appreciate you sharing all this. Mm. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground, but is there anything else about the citizenship process that you think would be important for people to know? Um, and I would say, I don't know how many, you know, uh, immigrants or folks that listen to the show, but... Um, I would imagine that just based on, you know, statistics, most of our listeners are U.S. citizens by birth. Um, So those are folks that have no awareness of this. So anything that that they could know or put into action that would be important. Who you vote for and put in government really matters in this process. Um, It shows who's in office. Um, For instance, in about 2017, 2018, that kind of time before 2020, they begin to even change the test and they begin to make it more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, they will put in a process in 2020 where the questions, there'd be 125 of them. They changed every question. Um, they put some questions in that weren't even constitutionally correct. For instance, <laughs> who, does, who does your uh, senator represent? Uh-huh. And it's all people of the state. And right. they got rid of the all and just said citizens in the state. Oh, right. So they were making it's those little subtle yeah. tweaks where it's yeah. like I know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And the process was taking forever mm-hmm. when it didn't need to be. There was such a backup and that has changed so much. Um I think mm. the the thing to know and is the 
the process is improving right now. Mm-hmm. It's becoming easier to become a citizen. Mm-hmm. The interviewers are being friendly. They're being helpful, where in the past they weren't. Um, oh, yeah, because they they felt the heat from on high. Of course they right? did. Yeah. Of course they did. And so they were asking, like, definitions of hard words. And some I've had some be like, your English is no good. Tell my student, your English is no good. Your English is no good. Your English is no good. <laughs> over and over. Um, but all that's changed. Right. For the much better. And so who you who we have in office, who you vote for does matter in this. It trickles down yeah. to the citizenship. I mean you can look at the number of citizens, naturalized citizens. Last year was up to almost a million and this year it's on track for about one point five yeah. million. Yeah. Which is just a dramatic increase because the process is sped up. Yeah. Because they're making it easier. Interviews aren't taking two hours. They're right. taking 15 minutes. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, just the other night, I was watching The West Wing, like I often do. And at the end of the very first episode, President Bartlett says, Naval intelligence reports approximately 1,200 Cubans left Havana this morning. Approximately 700 turned back due to severe weather. Some 350 are missing and presumed dead. 137 have been taken into custody in Miami seeking asylum with the clothes on their back they came through a storm and the ones that didn't die want a better life and they want it here talk about impressive we are all here because we immigrated to this yeah. country from somewhere else yeah. whether we wanted to or not in yeah. many cases and and um you know at the certainly apologies to my you know, indigenous friends um, who have had to deal with the enormous influx of outsiders into their homeland. But I think one of the things that's been great about America as a nation is our willingness to welcome and embrace others into our community. Um, And it's really, I think, um, inspiring to me, folks like you, whose life work is helping that process, helping them come here and, um, and become Americans like the rest of us. And I'll tell you that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's the other thing you you see. I get to see um people become citizens all the time. Yeah. I get to see eight last two months and you realize how how much of a dream it is. I think we forget sometimes we don't even know mm-hmm. what it means. And so some of my students have been here thirty years, have been permanent residents for thirty years and just lived their life that way. Never thinking they could pass, never thinking that this was a possibility for them. And talking to them on the phone or hearing from them or seeing them in person and just seeing what it means to them that now their whole family, their children can become citizens because of this step. We forget about that as well, that when when the parent becomes a citizen under 18 children, they're a part of the process too. Right. And so, so many lives changed and dreams met. It just, yeah. It's it's so important to these people, and I think we forget that to so many immigrants that this is their dream, and it, a lot of people think it's an impossible dream to achieve. Right. But yeah. It's not. Right. Yeah. I think we think about it as if um, people went on vacation and thought, well, "This is nice. I'll stay here." Yeah. Um, which is not at all the case. No. Right? Like, I've, I haven't had one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee I haven't had one on vacation. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Well. Bruce, thanks so much for being here. 
how can our listeners find out more about your organization or your program if they wanted to, I don't know, volunteer, go work there, do whatever it is? Sure. Community Literacy Centers, just Google Community Literacy Centers. Um, actually, the public libraries have a lot of information. The metro libraries have a lot of information about our classes. Um, two libraries in particular, Southern Oaks Library and Edmond Library, mm-hmm. those are the places that we teach on Zoom, but they're kind of our our sponsors, if you will. Sure. We work together closely with them. We have librarians in the class. So if you want more information, Southern Oaks Library, Edmond Library has that as well. Excellent. Super. And we would love for anybody to join. One thing I'd like to say is the yeah. bit, this class, I'm not the only person. We have two or three tutors and librarians in each class, which is great because that gives the opportunity for students to learn different things, practice different things, practice the interviews. Mm-hmm. So if any of you out there are interested, give us a call. Yeah, that's great. I I'm, I guarantee someone will, will follow up from that. Love it. Bruce, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks so much to Bruce Kaplinger for being here with us and really sharing his experience with us. If it's something you'd like to get involved with, please read the show notes here on this episode. Um, If you don't know how to get to that, send me an email, podcast at letsfixthis.org. We'll make sure that we get you connected to Bruce and to that cause. Over the next few weeks, as I mentioned earlier, we'll have... Um, a bunch of special guests. Uh, we've got, I think JB is coming in next week. We've got folks from the Oklahoma Academy that will be discussing open primaries. We've got um, some conversations around education funding, around um, tenant rights and, and um, kind of housing issues. We've got conversations uh, uh, with um, Dr. Emily Stacy from Rose State College uh, and what they're working on around youth involvement, student involvement, hashtag activism, as she would say. Uh, And so we're really excited about kind of the next several weeks or months of content. Along the way, of course, we will be talking about, you know, the issues, current events, what's happening at the state capitol and our state government, and how you can get involved. Remember, above all of this, that decisions are made by those who show up. We need you to show up, and we need your help getting others in your life to show up whatever that means for your neighbors at the polls however it is that you can show up we really 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 encourage you to do that have a great week stay cool out there and we'll see you next week